So this morning, we are again in Psalm 25, a Psalm of David. And you might remember it is a Hebrew alphabetic acrostic about God's deliverance, his guidance, and his forgiveness. Each verse begins with a Hebrew letter except for verse 22. It helps the reader to memorize the text. And the only exceptions are that two Hebrew letters are actually missing and one is used twice. But this psalm reveals the beauty and completeness of God's mercy. It tells the fullness of God's provision from A to Z. So I'll read this psalm again today, stating the Hebrew letter at the beginning of each verse. Now hear the word of the Lord. Verse 1. Aleph, to you, O Yahweh, I lift up my soul. Bet, O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exalt over me. Gimel, indeed, let none who hope in you be ashamed. Let those who deal treacherously without cause be ashamed. Dalet, Make me know your ways, O Yahweh, teach me your paths. Evolve, lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation, and you I hope all the day. Zion, remember, O Yahweh, your compassion and your loving kindnesses, for they have been from of old. Het, do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions, According to your loving kindness, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Yahweh. Tet, good and upright is Yahweh, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. Yud, may he lead the humble in justice, and may he teach the humble his way. Kof, all the paths of Yahweh are loving kindness and truth to those who guard his covenant and his testimonies. Lamed, for your name's sake, O Yahweh, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Mem, who is the man who fears Yahweh? He will instruct him in the way that he should choose. Noon, his soul will abide in goodness, and his seed will inherit the land. Shemek, the secret of Yahweh, is for those who fear him, and he will make make them know his covenant. Ayin, my eyes are continually toward Yahweh, for he will bring my feet out of the net. Fay, turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am alone and afflicted. Sadi, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Resh. See my affliction and my trouble, and forgive all my sins. Resh, see my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with violent hatred. Sheen, keep my soul and deliver me. Do not let me be ashamed, for I take refuge in you. Tav, let integrity and uprightness guard me, for I hope in you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Let's pray. Father, we give you glory this morning. God, thank you 
for how you are revealed through the psalmist David, through King David, a man after your own heart. God, we see your glory. We see your care for your own, for those in covenant relationship with you. And we're reminded of your ways. We're reminded of your nature through this psalm, especially today, but throughout the psalm. God, may we know the God of our salvation. May we know your ways and may we walk in your ways with all of our hearts. For your ways are loving kindness and truth. God, would you work in our hearts this morning? Our prayer is that you would be glorified through your word and that your saints would be uplifted and challenged and conform to the image of your Son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a huge difference between the relationship God has with his covenant people and his indignation towards those outside his covenant, those who did not keep the Mosaic covenant, a conditional covenant, were under a divine curse. Yet those who kept his commandments were promised divine blessing. I remind you, right in the middle of the Ten Commandments, in Exodus 20, right after the Lord forbid his people from making idols, he commanded them, in verse 5, you shall worship, you shall not worship them, idols, or serve them. For I, Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who keep those who love me and keep my commandments do you see the contrast do you see the distinction here between how god regards those who hate him those who disregard his commandments versus those who love him and keep his commandments in psalm 7 david declares in verse 11 god is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. The context there is indignation toward the wicked, the proud, the sinner, those who rebel against God's law, because God is a righteous judge. But David continues in verse 12, if a man does not repent, he, God, will sharpen his sword. He has bent his bow and prepared it. He has prepared for himself deadly weapons. He makes his arrows fiery shafts. David here pictures Yahweh as a God anxious and ready to exercise judgment. You see, his justice demands it. Jesus, the Son of God, who will one day judge the living and the dead, said this in Luke chapter 12, verse 49. I have come to cast fire on the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. The indicative verb here implies active volition and purpose. Oh, how I will. Oh, how I desire. He says, I have come to cast fire upon the earth. And oh, how I desire it were already kindled. 
Here the Lord speaks of coming judgment and his desire, his purpose to exercise justice. His nature demands it. God is a holy God. One day we will stand before him and his judgment will be just. It will be righteous and no sin will ever go unpunished. He is a holy judge. Just as a good earthly judge renders sentence according to the law, you can be sure the Lord of glory, the good and righteous one, will render judgment according to his righteous standard, according to his nature, his holy character, even his law. He will exercise his wrath on those who continue to hate him. But even now, he extends mercy to all who in humility repent. In our text today, David develops the themes we saw last week in verses 4 through 7. God's guidance, his forgiveness, his mercy. Our text introduces the benevolent attributes of God relating to repentant sinners and his reward for the humble. David here seems to pause from his prayer to recount Yahweh's character and his ways, to meditate upon God's goodness, to contemplate God's mercy towards his covenant people. And David does so in light of his own sins. That's the context we're in. Psalm 25, verse 8, David declares with such great conviction, good and upright is Yahweh. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. May he lead the humble in justice and may he teach the humble his way. All the paths of Yahweh are loving kindness and truth to those who guard his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Yahweh, Pardon my iniquity, for it is great. You see, God acts on behalf of his covenant people, and his acts are characterized by his nature. He is good, he is upright, and he is just. And his paths for his people are loving kindness and truth. Verse 8 again, good and upright is Yahweh. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. David here not only glorifies the eternal covenant God, he finds real personal comfort by recounting God's goodness. Remember, David's enemies wished to put him to shame. They had apparently been emboldened by David's sins. So David struggles with guilt that stemmed from his past sins and the consequences that he was facing. So David stops praying in verses 8 through 10 and simply rehearses the goodness and uprightness of his God, the God of his salvation. And that's exactly what we must do. All that we would turn our focus away from our past sins, sins covered by the blood of Christ, and fix our gaze upon the Lord of glory. Fix our gaze upon the one who is good and upright, who forgives those who humbly repent. Of course, we must be sure that we have trusted in the God of salvation. Of course, we must confess our sins. But to wallow in the sins of our past is sin itself. Saving faith looks to Christ as the solution. Saving faith believes that God, listen to this, 
Hebrews 11 is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. See, faith trusts in God. It trusts in God to forgive, knowing that Christ is the propitiation for our sins. He is the satisfying sacrifice. He has appeased God's wrath. Of course, of course, faith lays aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us and runs with endurance the race set before us. But faith also fixes our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. If you have been born from above, get your eyes off your past sins and fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the author and perfecter of faith. Remember even his name, Jesus, Yeshua, means Yahweh saves. Rest in his perfect and complete salvation, for he is mighty to save, and he will save to completion those who call upon him. In verse 8, David turns his eyes to the God of his salvation. First, David says that the Lord is good. The word means pleasant, agreeable, or good. Of course the Lord is good. And he exercises common grace to all his creatures. However, here, he is good to his covenant people. That's the context. He exercises special grace and mercy to his own, even to those who have sinned. Second, the word upright, the Lord is upright. This word means straight, correct, upright, It can even be used to refer to righteousness. So he, the Lord of glory, Yahweh, is both upright and righteous in and of himself and in all his ways. His acts towards his covenant people are characterized by his goodness and his uprightness. Verse 8 again. Good and upright is Yahweh, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. You see, it is out of God's character that he acts. It is because he is good and upright that he instructs, directs, teaches sinners the way. The word for sinners in the Hebrew, hateim. These are sinners who miss the mark the path of God's way. This actually refers to God's people who have committed a sin for which a sin offering was available, not sinners who were demonstrating an ongoing hatred toward God by their actions or a disregard for God's covenant promises altogether. These are sinners whom the good and upright Lord instructs in the way. But what way? According to verse 9, it's God's way. It's the way of righteousness or justice. Look at verse 9. May he lead the humble in justice, and may he teach the humble his way. Both the words lead and teach are sequential, imperfect Hebrew verbs. This means the message of the text here advances forward. It's going forward. In other words, because Yahweh is good and upright, he leads the humble in justice, and he teaches the humble his way, his ways, excuse me. Notice verse 9, 
is also an example of synonymous Hebrew, Hebrew parallelism, where the second line states the same as the first, using different words for meaning, for understanding. The New American Standard here translates verse 9 simply and in light of the verb tense. He leads the humble in justice, and he teaches the humble his ways. This verse describes the acts of the one, the mighty one, the covenant God who is good and who is upright. It describes how Yahweh instructs humble sinners. He leads, he guides them in justice. He teaches them, he teaches the humble his way. It's the way of righteousness. The psalmist gives more insight in Psalm 33. Verse 4, for the word of Yahweh is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. So how does God lead his people in justice? How does he instruct them in his ways? Through his word. His word is upright. His word reveals his way. Notice the Lord spoke through David in Psalm 32, 8. I will give you insight and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. All that we would understand how God loves his people. We see God's love manifest through these verses that God has given us. We are the apple of his eye. See, his eye is fixed upon us. His love is fixed upon his chosen, and he teaches us in the way that we should go and counsels us. We can see that care, that counsel. He counsels us with his eye upon us. These passages certainly refer to God's covenant people, as we will see later. These are humble sinners who need God's leading, who need to walk on a just and righteous path. So he leads them in justice and teaches them his way, verse 9. This is the loving kindness of our God towards his people when they fall off the righteous path, when they sin as David had sinned. In verse 10, David describes the paths of Yahweh as loving kindness and truth. This is the way that the good and upright God leads his people. Verse 10, all the paths of Yahweh are loving kindness and truth to those, to who? To those who guard his covenant and his testimonies. Who are these people walking on the Lord's path? Those who guard his covenant and his testimonies. Later in verse 12 and 14, these are those who fear the Lord. Same people. Different description. In verse 10, David describes the beauty of the Lord's way for his people. His paths, his ways are loving kindness and truth. This is not the path that God has laid out for all people. Not at all. This is his paths for those who guard his covenant for those who love the Lord, for those who are the apple of his eyes, his chosen. And how does God describe, or how does David describe these paths as the paths of loving kindness and truth? The word loving kindness simply means goodness or kindness. Loving kindness is a great translation. 
Truth, though, means firmness, faithfulness, stability, reliableness. The path that God has prepared for his covenant people is that of goodness and kindness because God is good. It is reliable. It is stable. It is faithful because God is faithful. Under the law, when God's covenant people loved the Lord and walked according to his ways, God's way was the way of blessing, the way of goodness and faithfulness. Now, we know we're not under the Mosaic law. By grace, through faith in Christ, we're in the new covenant in which God has given us new hearts, new desires. He has written his laws upon our hearts and our minds. He is our God, and we are his people. We are children of the living God in Christ. And so, especially for us, his paths are paths of goodness and faithfulness. Remember what Jesus Christ said in Matthew 11? Verse 30, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's the same paths. Demonstrating the character of the God who guides, the God who leads, the God who cares for his people. All the goodness and kindness of the Lord for those who walk in his ways, for those who love the Lord, for those who have been born from above, who have been quickened by the Spirit, who have the life of God in them, who are new creations in Christ. John wrote, 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. You see, it's a new heart. It's a changed heart. By the regeneration of the Spirit, we have new hearts. We love Him because He first loved us. His laws are written on our hearts so that we desire to please Him, to walk in His ways. His commandments are not burdensome. They are a delight to the soul for those who are in the new covenant. His paths for us, just like those in the old covenant, his paths are goodness and truth or faithfulness. And then in verse 11, David returns to prayer after recounting the goodness of God. And he says in verse 11, For your name's sake, O Yahweh, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Just as David prayed in verses 4 through 7 for guidance and forgiveness, after David has rehearsed the character of the covenant God in verses 8 through 10, he again prays for forgiveness in verse 11. It's a prayer based upon the nature and character of God. Yahweh is good and upright. So it's in light of the prayer. It's in light of, I should say, it's in light of the character of God, of who God is, that David now prays for forgiveness. Here in verse 11, David reflects on the name of the Lord, on Yahweh, the God who keeps covenant. In verse 7, he concluded his prayer for forgiveness with, for the sake of your goodness. That was the basis for which he asked for forgiveness. But here in verse 11, the goal of forgiveness is for your name's sake, O Yahweh. 
Uh, these are certainly not contradicting. They align with one another. Asaph prays and prayed in Psalm 79, 9, Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name, and deliver us and atone for our sins for your namesake. The word Yahweh means the eternal, self-existing, self-sufficient one. It is God's personal name. It is God's covenant name. Yahweh always, always, always keeps covenant. And his covenants are based upon his character, his essence. They're based upon who he is. Notice how David prays for forgiveness. Pardon my iniquity, for it is great. The word iniquity here refers specifically to the guilt or the punishment for sins. David was suffering punishment as his enemies sought to shame him. As his sins had caused the God of his salvation to be blasphemed. That's what Nathan said. David was living with the consequences of his past sins. His sins were ever before him because he's living in the midst of consequences. Yet David's forgiveness was sure because it stemmed from the character of God. It stemmed from the glory of his covenant name, the name Yahweh. Through prayer, David demonstrated trust in the name of the Lord. He was praying for the punishment, the consequences he was enduring to be pardoned, to be removed from his life. David declared in Psalm 9:10, and those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Yahweh, have not forsaken those who seek you. Let me read it again. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Yahweh, have not forsaken those who seek you. The name of the Lord demands faith. It brings faith to know this God, this one who is good and upright The response is to believe, to know this one. God's name is glorious. It represents all that he is and all that he does. His name, Yahweh, is trustworthy because he is the God who keeps covenant. He forgives those who diligently seek him. David proclaimed in Psalm 37, 28, for Yahweh loves justice and will not forsake his holy ones. They are kept forever, but the seed of the wicked will be cut off. There's the contrast again. They will be kept forever, but the wicked will be cut off. What a distinction between how God treats his covenant people Versus those who are outside his covenant, those who rebel, who hate him and disregard his covenant. Again, the distinction is clear. The distinction between the way of God's people and the way of the ungodly. Remember Psalm 1 verse 6. 
for Yahweh knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Either you are one of the righteous or you're outside God's covenant, you are wicked according to God. The righteous have been brought into the new covenant through the blood of Christ. He is the mediator of the new covenant, and he extends grace to those who will kiss the Son. Remember Psalm 2? To those who in humility acknowledge the Son's rightful place, that he's King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the crucified Savior. He is crucified, resurrected, and he is the exalted King. And for his covenant people, let me tell you this morning, His ways are loving kindness and truth. That's not the ways of Satan. We know the way of Satan because we've been there. But God's ways, the ways of Yahweh are loving kindness and truth. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Our God is good and upright. He forgives our iniquity. He instructs us in his way. He leads us in his justice and he teaches us his way and his paths. Again, our loving kindness and faithful truth. So we celebrate, don't we? We celebrate at the end of the service. We celebrate this morning that we are children of God through faith in the crucified Lord we're not under the harsh realities of the, of the law, which man could not keep because of the hardness of heart. But through the blood of Christ, we're in the new covenant. We have new hearts, new desires. He is our, think of this. He is our God. And we are his people. To be the people of God. This one that is good and upright. Who keeps covenant? Who never lets his children go astray? Never. Not this God. It will never happen. That's the God that we worship this morning. That's what we celebrate this morning. That through the blood of Christ, we're in a new covenant. An eternal covenant. We have new hearts, new desires, As I like to say, new want-tos. God has changed our want-tos. And yes, he is our God, and we are his people. Now our purpose is to serve the risen Savior, to glorify him. So the unleavened bread represents our Savior, his sinless body, that he is without sin or was without sin in the person of Christ and his human flesh. But yet he was broken by the wrath of God as he bore my sins and your sins. Through his broken body, he has brought us into a relationship with him, into the presence of God without guilt, guilt gone, We approach his throne boldly, without fear. He is our God. We are his people. 
And all of this to the praise of his glorious grace. The wine represents the cleansing blood of Christ. Just as wine in scripture represents celebration, blessing, abundance. It also represents the judgment of God, the wrath of God. And the point is this, the Lord Jesus Christ took our wrath, what we deserve. He took the punishment for sin. He took our guilt. He took the consequences that we might have abundant blessing. So this morning, as you prepare your hearts for communion service, if you're not born again, let it pass you by. You are outside of God's covenant promise. You're under God's righteous indignation. His wrath is still upon you. So rather than partaking, if you're outside the covenant, the new covenant, the word of God is clear. Repent and believe the gospel. The Bible says all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call upon him. Repent of your sins and look to him this morning and you will be saved right there in your seat. But if you're a child of God through faith in Christ, examine yourself, confess your sins, consider your heart, your purpose for partaking so that you do not partake in an unworthy manner. We should partake in a worthy manner which is for the glory of God. This is a remembrance. This is a worship of our God, of our Savior. For those who partake in a worthy manner, they are blessed of the Lord. They, I believe, grow in grace and knowledge through remembering, through partaking. So as we continue in worship right now, let us examine ourselves in a time of silent prayer, and then we will partake together.